Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Crackria podcast. Six months later, episode 27. Uh, this was probably, <laughs> not probably, this is the fucking longest hiatus I've ever had. Uh, mostly because the week that I, it was actually the end of, or start of June is when I did episode 26. And then I said, right, from here on I want to start doing YouTube shit as well. And uh, so far my entire YouTube output has basically just been showing whatever shit I bought every couple of weeks. Because I, I just have so many different fucking piles of movies coming in all the time. I'm running out of space. It's actually it, it's dreadfully uh, stressful how little room I have for films. Uh, I am going to gather shit together that I won't watch again or didn't like and fucking sell it on. But even then I do not have room. Um, But... I ended up just doing that and uh, see I tend to fucking wreck myself because I did my first video the vinegar syndrome haul that I got which I had mentioned six or seven months ago however fucking long it is now um and that video was about an hour of me just talking about all that shit and I was like okay this is a handy format I can talk about it I actually prefer if I'm going to talk about movies that I bought excuse me I will guide you towards my youtube channel because um it's much easier than me just describing the additions in the podcast. It's kind of just, it, it seems stupid. So I'll just say, hey, I bought a bunch of shit. Look at fucking YouTube, you see it all there. Because that's likely the case. I recorded two of them today, so they will be up. Probably around the same time this is up. So that's, that's plenty of my fucking voice for you to listen to. Um, I do have intentions of actually doing more with it. And actually doing a few kind of, um, I suppose, videos based on movies people should watch and so on. And lists and whatnot, because I, again, I, I I used to have the bug for writing lists, and now I couldn't give a bollocks. Um, I'm also see you look at the likes of TikTok and things like that, which <coughs> surface level. Also, you'll notice there might be coughs intermittently throughout this because I'm just getting over COVID. Well, I'm pretty much past it now, but uh, yeah, had that over fucking Christmas. My intention was to actually do a podcast at the end of last year. Uh, not a wrap, not, not to wrap everything up, which I'm going to do in this podcast. But I was going to do a podcast with the the Bell Joe from fucking Lazy Dads, and we never got around it because I had to fucking isolate from Christmas Day all the way past New Year's Eve. I missed fucking everything, even though it wasn't yet nogs lockdowns and shit. But I just couldn't do fuck all. Um, so that put me. I mean, my videos and all were late. So, but I'm back now, and that's the main thing. Um, so yeah, the Joe episode will happen this year and uh, i'm gonna make sure make very sure to have plenty of guests because basically since day one starting this i've been saying oh i think i'll get guests and i was kind of hemming and hawing about what way i do it but i've since got a laptop i have a microphone i can literally do this anywhere now i was kind of bound to my house at first and now i can do whatever the fuck i want on it so there will be guests uh i have a lot of people in mind who i'd like to talk to uh some of them might be famous probably aren't at all but still um but what i was saying was with the likes of tiktok i mean you'll have like if you if you download tiktok brand new right now it's going to be the worst app you've ever fucking opened in your life and it's going to be full of cunts who are unfunny annoying bastards doing shit dances and doing shit fucking trends and they're the most unbearable cunts you'll ever fucking endure in your life because tiktok is literally just throwing every fucking thing on that website at you or app uh, and it's up to you to go this is shit this is shit i like this this is shit and so on and if you do that for a few days you'll weed out all the bollocks that is just the worst shit on earth and you'll find there's a lot of good 
places for movies on there there's a lot of people on there who very simple videos they're a minute long of here's a film in my collection not a lot of people have seen people should fucking watch it and it's a little breakdown and they tend to travel very well the the fucking 15 minutes of shame or 15 minutes of fame uh has become 15 seconds of fame and that was through tiktok and just everyone is getting going viral with it and that's what's kind of fucking terrifying as well because you can just do the stupidest thing you can put something on youtube eight years ago and someone will pick it up and it'll go viral now but on tiktok it's like okay you're viral for one day and then no one's heard of you ever again and then five videos later you're viral again so it's very much look at the draw but it seems like you can cultivate a decent audience there um if you do the right stuff so might be an option to go there part of me doesn't want to but part of me does purely because it means i'll have to be strict i tend to go for fucking ages you've heard these podcasts before i've gone over fucking three hours before i would rather be able to be limited to say a minute or three minutes where i can just go here's fucking five crime films in the 70s you should see that not many people have and i'll fucking just list them out then again tiktok are fucking stupid cons the amount of censorship on there is actually insane um if you use certain words your video can be removed and i don't mean like offensive words i mean words that are just descriptive so there's a lot of channels like i mean everyone loves true crime stories and craziness like that but if you're talking about uh say say you're doing a little music bit and you're talking about kurt cobain and you say he killed himself your video can get removed because you use the phrase killed himself so you have to say unalived himself and you have to like censor words like gun and things like that it's like for fuck's sake these words exist as part of the english fucking language let them be used and stop censoring things you fucking dickheads so that kind of puts me off at it. or even if you don't get your shit removed it'll probably fucking not be thrown onto the the algorithm or whatever else so it's very stupid but this isn't a podcast about fucking tiktok and other bollocks like that this is uh i would say old school but this is a fucking podcast where i talk shit and as it is the first podcast of 2021 i'm going to talk about or no it's not 2021 it's fucking 2022 um i'm going to talk about the best and worst movies of the last year um i was partly thinking about talking about some of the stuff that i've seen so far this year but i might actually just save that and do it next week uh, i am going to try to do this weekly or at least bi-weekly or not bi-weekly what am i thinking of fortnightly um because i want to kind of get back into the rhythm of it and i wasted last year i could have fucking done so many podcasts and i didn't uh because the videos were a lot easier to do like once i do a video it's just done like it's (laughs) this fuck all to it whereas podcasts can sometimes be a bit more to it there's a lot more subjects i actually have to talk and i'm just sitting here yapping shite but uh i've been thinking about how i'm gonna do this best and worst because it was a weird year last year there was a lot of there was a lot of terrible shit like an insane amount of bad shit but a lot of really really good shit and it was kind of see with letterboxd i've uh i started using stars again i always go on about this because i'm an absolute slave to fucking uh stats and uh i don't know my algorithms is the word that's in my head again but uh I suppose statistics is the word I'm looking for. But on Letterboxd, it gives you a complete breakdown of your entire year. Now, I have everything on Letterboxd, so it gives me a breakdown of that since 2014. That's when I started. Um, But what it'll do is it'll tell you what your highest rated films of this year are or what were your least favourites and so on. And 
I feel like by not having ratings on it, I'm not getting that information. That kind of remains blank if I don't use it. So I'm like, well, if I'm if I'm using the pro version of Letterboxd, I want to get the most out of it. But I find myself, and I'm slipping back into this fucking habit again, where as I'm watching a film, I'm almost rating it as it goes. And I'm trying not to do that. I hate doing that. Like when I was heavy into rating stuff with stars, like I'd be like that, where I could be really enjoying it. And then I go, oh, now it's down to four. Like that, that'll be the thing that's in my head. I'm like, no, I'm supposed to just be fucking watching and enjoying the movie. That is it. That's why I went to the thumbs up, thumbs down route, because that way it was either like, okay, I'm either going to enjoy this or I'm not going to enjoy this. And that's all this is based on. I let the review do the talking. I then got to the point where I realized I actually don't want to review things anymore. (laughs) I mean, obviously I liked in the podcast, I like talking about films and I'll always talk about films. But I got into the habit where I was like thinking to myself, I've got a pile of reviews to do. And I was like, do I want to sit here writing these big spiels about it? Or do I just want to say why I thought it was good or bad? Like I I found myself drifting in and out of uh, how I was writing shit and I decided now from now on it's just my opinion I don't care about being a critic I don't care about what sounds quotable what sounds good I'm literally just gonna say this is a pile of shite and here's why or this is deadly and here's why that's kind of all I want to give to it used to be I didn't have stars and then the review did the talking but now nothing's doing the talking it's just go watch this movie or don't um but because of the star system i'm even looking at like because i i keep everything i watch for the year in a list i'm looking at shit and going well that has only four stars this has four and a half but i kind of prefer the four star film even though i rated the other one higher because at the time i'm rating it going it checks all these boxes for me so there's just too much shit with stars because there could be a movie that's three stars that i actually enjoy more than a lot of the fucking four and five star movies even though it's kind of shit so like it's it's the way I raise stuff in my head is just fucked. I would actually love if Letterboxd had an option. And I could somehow keep a... a oh, what's the word? Statistic on this. Statistic's the only word that's coming to my head. And that an algorithm, I'm sure there's another word that's not fucking coming to me. Um, But if I was to have it where... Okay, you can select for your account that you either use stars or that you use thumbs up, thumbs down or some kind of rating method that suits. I don't know what would suit me because I'm too fucking picky with shit um even going between half stars and and full stars was fucking pissing me off for a while um but again i i just get my own head then because i'm looking at something and i'm like oh yeah that's a fucking a nine out of ten say and then i'm looking at the other thing and i'm like but i prefer this and i gave that an eight so how does that work and i just keep comparing them i need to stop Letterboxd needs to make it more acceptable for me so i don't get fucking caught up doing it anyway i'm rambling shy but the reason i say it is because I was looking at my uh, my list of the best to worst. And as I put it together, I didn't really coordinate it. I just said, right here, I'm just going to put all the, the star ratings in order. And then I can organise it again later. But I was just looking at it and going, well, that's a four star movie. And I preferred that to the these five star movies. So how the fuck do I decide this? So I'm just going to essentially pick the movies based on what I liked the most. And I'm ignoring the stars here. But I am going to, of course, start off with the worst. And I'm going to mention some of the other movies that didn't make this top 10. I always do 10 for the worst and usually 20-ish for the the best. But there's a few here I'm going to mention that probably in any other circumstance will be in my worst list. But the fact that they're kind of already starting off terrible, it feels like I can't really put them in. I kind of want to have my worst, my list of the worst movies be ones that were just disappointing or maybe angry they were so shit so there's a few here 
that they're terrible, but I didn't exactly fucking have much hope for them in the first place. Or they're playing at a festival and the fe- like some of the stuff that goes to a festival may as well have been shot on a phone yesterday and submitted today. And it's kind of hard to include it, but I'm going to do a, a little uh, uh, dishonorable mention video here. Or video? Fucking hell. My entire vocabulary is dog shit. But some of the really terrible ones. So there was a few that played at Hearthon here um, in October. So there was Crabs, which is like a monster movie with these horseshoe crabs, which aren't really crabs. I don't know why they call it that. I think it's just made to look like they're fucking pube lice. Um, it's just a fucking terrible monster movie, but it's kind of no budget shite anyway. So, eh. of course, it was going to be bad. That's the kind of mindset I had watching it. Uh, isolation is one that I can give it props to the point where it's like okay this is a bunch of filmmakers who wanted to make something during the pandemic so they made an anthology horror about being in the pandemic and they kind of you know jazzed it up made it more crazy than it is but most of it's really really fucking boring and it's just I, I it does nothing for me like but again I feel like I can't really consider that the worst because it's like like it was batting with fucking nothing uh cyst is another one that's made to be like an old gloopy fucking creature feature but again it's so cheap and so shit and i'm just like yeah, what do you expect of course it's going to be bollocks um this could make the top 10 and it's very very close to but i'm gonna leave it as is uh but god i can't even think of his fucking name now is it chris <laughs> no charlie charlie brooker's uh death to 2021 i don't know what has happened to him he like he was one of the sharpest fucking satire beasts out there and he would fucking be so no holes barred and so witty and clever but now he's gone for the worst absolute dog shit low-hanging fruit garbage satire out there like it's the equivalent of having trump and going look how stupid trump is it's like yeah I heard that joke the last fucking 60 years. Give me a new joke. Or tell that joke in an interesting way. It's just... For someone who's that smart and able to rip into the fucking... Like, right-wing mad fuckers. And left-wing as well. He was always good at, at looking at the sides and going... Look, user cunts and user cunts. So yous are going to get slagged. Now he's just... Who's the dumbest person that society looks at now? Oh, anti-vaxxers. That's the whole joke. I was like, that's that's all you get in Death of 2021. It's basically the one joke over and over. And you, know, you have the celebrities who come into it. What's his face? Uh, Hugh Grant was in it again. And he kind of plays like the really ignorant owl lad. Fucking Egypt uh, Tory type. And basically every one of his jokes you can see coming. He says something very conf- confidently. And at the end of it, it'll contradict itself. And it's like, everything is just so predictable. Um... And it's just sad to see someone who used to have such quality just squander it with the cheapest, shittest jokes. Um, I blathered on longer than I needed there. Um, Old, which was fucking, what's his face, M. Night Shyamalan's new film, which a lot of people seem to enjoy as a comedy, but it wasn't supposed to be, and it's just fucking dire. Uh, A fun idea, squandered. I don't know what he was thinking. but like when you look at the kind of robotic, weird, fucking out-of-body alien type acting that you see in the films of Yorgos Lintimos. So you look at something like 
the killing of a sacred deer. People talk to each other in this cold, weird fashion. That seems ten times more human than the way people talk to each other in old. I don't know what way he's making movies, but it, it's weird. Um, a Dutch, or maybe... No, I think it's German. No, it could be Dutch. Uh, this film called The Columnist. Column, columnist? Oh, if I can have it in his box. Um, originally titled The Cunt Whore, but obviously they realised they couldn't translate that to English and have it get released, so they called The Columnist. Uh, again, a fun idea, just totally fucking squandered. Uh, thinks it's funnier than it is. Come True is a movie that I thought had loads of potential and had some really effective kind of dream sequences in it but overall was fucking dumb and just tried so hard to cash in on the the new retro 80s wave of stuff they even had college who did the the music some of the music in drive <coughs> uh do some music in this and it doesn't even sound good just a disappointment all around probably the dumbest ending i've seen in a long time too uh spiral was a fucking letdown i ended up watching all the saw movies again uh which was good fun and some of them, some of the ones I liked back in the day, I didn't like much this time. But some of the ones I didn't like, I really enjoyed. So that was a, an interesting twist for me. Uh, still a lot of shite in there, but it, they are actually fun flicks. They're just very heavily flawed most of the time, and needlessly fucking convoluted. I still think um, maybe five, well, actually, I think I prefer five to Spiral. Spiral was a fucking mess. Don't breathe two was a fucking shambles as well. Um just a mess how they put it all together they thought it was going to be extra brutal which in ways it is but it doesn't save the fact that it makes no sense and it's stupid it's one thing if this fucking blind guy in his house knows his house like the back of his hand and can without seeing shit get around it efficiently like a predator perfectly fine it's his house of course he's going to know that but you can't have him just go to places he's never been before and he knows them like the back of his hand and he's an elite sharpshooting assassin despite the fact he's blind as a bat's bollocks. So fuck that film. Um, Jacob's wife didn't do much for me either. Uh, the film, of course. Uh, again, it's the kind of indie... Oh, I don't know what you describe them as. Indie horror titans, I suppose. Uh, of the cult of indie horror in the last 25 years. Make... Or are in it you have your man whose fucking name I can't remember but you have Barbara Crampton in it who's a ride and uh, it's just a vampire story it tries to be funny it's the same director as that girl on the third floor which is a fucking shambles of a flick as well um, what's it called The Last Matinee which didn't do much for me at all a lot of people thought it was deadly it's better known as Red Screening or at least for me that was what it was it was called at Horathon in 2020 um, got an official release then 2021 as the last matinee and I, yeah I get there's a lot of Jello influence but it was fucking shite I don't know what people are talking about it's, it's uh, when I say over stylized of course Jello is going to be crazy and stylized but this just felt like a filmmaker going look I'm making a Jello and I was like yeah good for you you made a shit one uh, didn't do anything for me at all and last of the honourable mentions is Halloween Kills um, that's a film that just the more I sat on it the worse it got when I watched it at the time I was like eh, it's it's not great at least it's pretty fucking violent where it needs to be I thought that was something but I was like the, the opening's stupid um, I kind of liked certain ideas of okay these group of people are getting together to do this and certain stuff's coming together but the, the last fucking half an hour of it was just shockingly bad 
like just I couldn't believe how fucking stupid some of it was uh, to the point where like days later I was actually just fucking stressed out thinking about how bad it is and allegedly <coughs> there's a an extended cut that was brought out with an alternate ending I think an alternate opening too and uh, I can't imagine it makes much of a fucking good difference uh, it, it's a pile of shy. I will see Halloween ends purely to finish it but and I actually rewatched uh, Halloween 2018 beforehand and it was worse than I remembered I, I remember when I saw it I thought it was disappointing very middling but watching it again it's actually fucking it's fairly shit and it's such a shame because there's so much quality there um, the new Scream which I'll I'll get into better next week is a prime example of how to do a, a reboot a lot better um, but yeah let's get into the, the proper top 10 now and uh I don't have any of the information in front of me. I just have the little fucking posters here on Letterboxd. So I'm going to just try to remember what most of these are about. Because some of them I probably <laughs> won't remember very well. Um, but at number 10. Which is funnily enough. Maybe the last film. Or one of the last films I reviewed on that episode 26 podcast. So if you're only finding this podcast now. It's going to seem like you just, you're listening to it again. But I'm going to be quick with all these. Because I don't want to exceed my fucking time anymore. Because I realise on YouTube. like It's very easy to fucking over an hour when you're talking bollocks um but number 10 is army of the dead so Zack snyder the same year he brought out the fucking snyder cut which i thought was fucking tremendous which you'll hear about later um he fucking also released this dire piece of shit which is so surprising because he did the dawn of the dead remake which i fucking love it's so it's really stylish but it's really good quality the actors are like characters and actors are all great now it comes together really fucking well it's violent it's tense it had running zombies without it feeling shite like in where was he so for him to now do a kind of sequel sort of set in the same universe and botch it this fucking badly is just stressfully fucking bad like two and a half hours for a start when it didn't need to be and littered with the worst characters terrible fucking cgi the way he used the cinematographer on it it's like he shot it with the fucking most shallow lens so he could only do close-ups of the actors where everything looked like vaseline was on the camera otherwise oh it's just it, it's shocking action is terrible the fucking even the use of music was fucking bad in it. and it ended up spawning a something called a sequel it's sort of a side prequel if you want to call it that there's this annoying as fuck german character in it who he's like a quirky dorky um thief and they decided to make a heist movie with his character set just as the zombies are fucking starting to become a problem and i thought and he directed it too so i thought that i'm just life is too short why would i bother watching this it looks like bollocks so based on army of the dead i don't need to see anymore uh really fucking bad but not as bad as the next nine so at number nine is Willy's Wonderland. Um, just such a fucking letdown. I remember hearing the premise a couple of years ago and thought that sounds like fucking great fun. Everyone knows I love Nicolas Cage. Um, unironically. And the idea of this essentially was how it was pitched to the world. It was it's five nights at Freddy's but with Nicolas Cage in it. And I thought that could be fucking really good if it's a movie of him. I th- initially thought it was an amusement park um, but it turns out it's actually just like a Chuck E. Cheese style fucking 
basically roadside diner with fucking mascots and I thought it was going to be that all these machines start malfunctioning and he has to fight them and they're haunting him and chasing him and all kinds of shit not what happens he is oh, I'm trying to even think how this works it's like he fucking they, his car tires burst he pulls over he doesn't speak a word in the whole movie by the way which I can understand like he's doing something interesting in his own way with that but I thought you could have saved that for a good movie and not this um, but they burst his tires and it's like oh it's going to cost you a shitload he doesn't have the money so it's like alright you can do an overnight fucking janitorial stint in this fucking abandoned place and that'll cover the cost of the car so he's like alright and while he's cleaning the place up all these mascots supposed to be robotic mascots there uh, start coming to life and trying to kill him should be fun but the fact first of all it irritated me so much that it's so clearly people under them they're basically people in like baggy cheap mascot costumes that you'd see in the fucking play centre and they're supposed to be robots they just have crappy robot noises over them and I was just like this looks so fucking bad even how he kills them is shite there's only one good kill on the whole lot of them most of it is just him like there's a whole bit where every time it's his lunch break which seems to be every 15 minutes he goes in cracks a fucking can of some soft drink and plays the arcade machine and that happens about four or five times in it and it's like it's such a crap bit that's something that could have worked in a different movie it just doesn't work in this it's insanely boring and within 20 minutes or maybe less they've already introduced a gang of kids who i hated as soon as i saw them and i thought they just they're just there to die which they don't even die in interesting or creative ways it's just so fucking boring such a waste of a brilliant premise i haven't seen the banana splits movie apparently it's along the same lines and apparently just as shit it's it's such a great idea that they just keep squandering and i don't know why it's embarrassing at this point but yeah that's that's what some people got stuff out of it they liked the the ex not exploitation but they liked the trashy cheesy quality of it none of that landed for me it didn't feel authentic it felt like some filmmakers going out there with an idea and going we're going to make a cult film and everyone's going to like it I thought, yeah get fucked you didn't make it and anyone liked um so yeah that was a failure speaking of failures uh for number eight is the many saints of newark man this film was like a fucking sword up the arse i was really excited for it and i i know they kind of miss or not miss what's the word uh misadvertise the word i'm looking for advertise i know is the word i like but uh misrepresented uh I, I can't get the word they advertise it fucking terribly is what i'm trying to say um because they try and make it look like what well, the basic the basic idea of it was supposed to be the childhood and teenage life of tony soprano before he became the tony soprano we all know and you're to see kind of his side of the crime world growing up and what shaped him and all the publicity and advertising pushes that to be the idea but really it's about christopher Moltisanti's dad and that whole side of the family and what they get up to and you have the characters from sopranos like junior his ma like and you have all like Polly and fucking silvio which oh my god oh the guy who plays silvio i hope he gets 
an Oscar for the worst performance ever and the Oscar is force fed to him through his fucking clenched teeth because it is one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life uh, it's like a parody it's like a Saturday Night Live parody where you'd have fucking Jonah Hill come out doing an impression of him and everyone's laughing at it yet this is supposed to be dead serious instead of just being like Silvio looks <laughs> he probably didn't look like that when he was younger but when he's older he's kind of becomes that way but they're just basically like a young guy doing an impression of Silvio when he's older it's just shocking but you have all these characters and Tony Soprano is I wouldn't even call him a side character he's just in it it's and it's played by his actual son Michael Gandolfini who looks the part he's not very good in this he's good in Cherry and I've seen him other stuff but he's not good in this and it kind of shows little snippets of his childhood and where he is in life and it just it just doesn't work it shows him trying to be honest like trying to get a proper job whatever else but again it's so in the background that it's totally inconsequential they could have done something really fucking unique with it it also is a hideous looking movie with this gross fucking green filter over it terrible digital fucking cinematography Ray Liotta is in it playing twins and I was just embarrassed at the idea of that it's just so fucking flawed like there's so much potential to make something really good there and instead they go for the most bare bones bad gangster film if this had not been associated with the sopranos and say the characters names were all different and michael gandolfini had a different wasn't even him someone else this movie would be a straight to dvd shit heap it, it's it's nearly gotti levels of bad um not quite because Gotti was a, a, just shocking but this is fucking close it was just dire and such a painful letdown like when you look at the fact that Deadwood got cancelled after three seasons unfairly there's a whole big thing about it it wasn't cancelled for any reason that it wasn't doing well or it wasn't very good it was just a politics thing essentially but they had a chance to come back and finish out that story in a two hour flick which was phenomenal absolutely incredible not only had all the cast captured the atmosphere just it it felt like the finale the true finale and that's what it is this felt like it was going to give a little bit of insight a little bit of background without the names this is just a standard bog standard piece of shit gangster flop just happens to have a soprano's name on it dog shit avoid it um number seven was kate a netflix original that attempts to be a female john wick movie with uh what's her name god i can't even think of her name she was in fucking suicide squad the original one and she was actually the best part of that whole film um actually i want to get her name because it's gonna piss me off if i don't i don't want to sit here for an hour and a half trying to remember it so what is your fucking name uh oh mary elizabeth winstead so she's essentially female john wick she was raised by woody harrelson to be an assassin and it's kind of a mix of john wick with crank because she gets poisoned and she essentially has 24 hours to live like chev chelios in crank Uh, but instead of having to keep his adrenaline flowing to to stop him from dying she just is she takes these like what's she even take she has some sort of medicine that she keeps taking over and over to sort of prolong it but it's just fucking oh man 
it's the same thing all of these movies happen or have where you have a good actress for a start put into a shit role where all of her fight scenes are unbelievable and i don't mean that in a good way i mean i don't believe for a second she can do any of this shit she's too powerful for her own good atomic blonde has set the standard for female action heroes because Charlize Theron said right if I'm going to do this role I'm going to fucking train for several months become an absolute beast know how to fight and do a lot of my own stunts and she does that whereas Mary Elizabeth Winstead is just like okay rather than having to do that work you all are just going to lose to me at all times and now like I will give the props it's violent where it wants to be there's a lot of stabbing and fucking sword shit going on but it all feels unearned it just feels crap and to a point where i was like okay it's not great i'll see how it goes they then introduce a child sidekick and oh my fucking god it was just so fucking unbearable having to listen to them and try build a relationship with these two characters absolute shit do not recommend it was on netflix it was long as well i think it was like two hours um and you just from the moment it starts i was like that's gonna happen and whoa wouldn't you know it it fucking happened because it's an unoriginal piece of shit absolutely avoid it um next this jeez oh, this could have been the worst in ways if it didn't have such good footage in it um and it's one that actually <laughs> with every day that got passed it got like heavily worse and worse the more i thought about it and that is woodstock 99 um there's a documentary on the woodstock 99 festival which after the woodstock 94 festival being such a success they said hey we'll do one in 99 and like obviously the old woodstock would have had fucking all the hippie bands and whatever else this was going for the modern bands of today which at the time was all the new metal bands and some of the classic 60s bands that they got back as a sort of uh, anniversary thing and uh, just a few other kind of metal bands and rock bands there's some kind of light rock stuff as well but this documentary is the most manipulative shite. It basically is just a white people bad documentary. And the whole thing is basically talking about how new metal was like the most dangerous genre. And that this festival fell apart and became an absolute war zone because of the fucking bands. And they, they actually interviewed the headliner. This guy is a fuckhead. Um, but there's, some, there's some ironic stuff the documentary does as well. It talks about how, like, sexism of the time. And it's particularly, they, they show a clip of Kid Rock. And if you know Kid Rock, he's fucking shite. But his whole thing is like, I'm going to shock people. I'm going to say shocking shit. So he goes out and says so- shocking shit. And then people are saying as if it's like, oh, he, he was saying this as a statement and blah, blah. It's like, no. He knew it was going to be upsetting and that's why he said it. They they don't know how to like com- contrast the two things. They just are fools. But... The guy who runs this, like, there, there was rapes and all sorts of this fucking thing. It was just a shit show. But the guy who ran the festival essentially blamed the people getting raped for being raped. And, uh, oh, it, it's just, it's dire. The whole thing was run terribly. He, he just believes he's totally in the right. You have a mixture of millennials and boomers. Or, no, sorry, Generation X and boomers and millennials all whinging from their own point of view and all of them just sound like the most irritating cunts it's just it's just shockingly bad but the way they tried to like the promoter was even trying to blame limp biscuit for starting the riots because the thing blew up into riots 
and they tried to blame them for it and it's like no Limp Bizkit didn't do anything different they did their usual set and the place went wild because you didn't know how to run a festival and no one had water no one had food no one had shelter there was sewage everywhere it's a shit show quite literally and all of those aspects are really interesting they're, they're good to look at the, the gig footage is great for a lot of bands but the documentary is trying to push it in such a direction that it was angry white people that are the cause of this entire thing and that like they even tried to do a whole racism uh, bit with DMX in it he basically got the crowd to sing along with him in which the n-word is used in the song a lot and he's there having a blast getting everyone to sing along with him but then they tried to put on this ominous music anytime they mention white people there's ominous music and they tried to make it look like people felt unsafe hearing white people shout the lyrics back and all this and it's like no one thought that you're trying to paint 1999 with a modern outlook and that'll never work it's like looking at some film from the 20s and acting like you were shocked watching it now you fucking weren't it's just that you're supposed to be shocked by it now so you're telling everyone you were just because you want to be pat on the back and um they also did this another bit of emotional manipulation here was there was a guy at the gig who he died because uh, he dehydrated and he passed out and they it was horrible what happened from the moment they started talking about him at the start of the documentary i was like well he definitely died at it and at the end of it they reveal it like it's shocking um but they have they tried to make it sound like it was the aggressiveness of metallica playing and the crowds and all this stuff and i'm like none of that's the reason it's because you didn't have trained professionals in the medical tent the, the whole thing is just a totally disingenuous documentary and i broke it down further on letterboxd why i didn't like it but there was just so many moments throughout it that was trying to not only look at it through a modern woke lens but to manipulate stuff and make things sound worse than they are and it's just it was absolutely fucking pathetic to watch um so i don't recommend it i recommend actually looking up on youtube the gig footage for some of the bands there's some great shit i particularly enjoyed the chili peppers playing fire by uh jimmy hendrix while fires are breaking out that was a that was quite a nice move uh but enough of that piss uh down to the bottom five um which i'm taking a lot longer on these than i thought i was going to so i'm gonna try yap a little less about them because i want to fucking get through the best movies um so a number five is a movie called dawn breaks before the eyes uh this is one that you could try or could throw into the fucking um the list of movies that are kind of shouldn't really fit into the bottom list but but the fact it was actually a, a high-end enough production from germany i thought nah this this is so shit it belongs here like the likes of crabs and isolation are probably worse films but this was just painful uh the first 30 odd minutes of it is an agonizingly slow burn attempted throwback at an old jello movie and spoiler alert because it's not really a spoiler that's what the, the plot is kind of shown to be i didn't look at up about it beforehand but it's these like people uh, a, a couple going around this fucking mansion and they're having a bit of a spat and then it's revealed actually this is a movie that's being made and then the the next hour and a half or next hour of the movie is much slicker production but it's essentially the rap party of this movie and fucking nothing happens in it all these cunts are just fucking sitting around having pretentious conversations for ages they all decide to take drugs and i thought okay it's gonna go down a bit of a climax route it doesn't even just nothing fucking happens in it and then 
it just goes absolutely nowhere it thinks it looks slick and stylish it has like a graphic orgy scene which wasn't even fucking entertaining if you fuck that up your movie's terrible it just it did nothing it was a fucking shambles of a film and uh, I can't recommend it it did have a hilarious cock ripping off scene though which was kind of funny during the the quote unquote movie at the beginning but otherwise I was had it not actually switched because I was watching it for that half an hour and I thought you know what I might actually walk out of this and just go get a pint because it's so shit but then it switched and I thought okay now it's going to get interesting let's see what happens nothing happened nothing at all fucking shit um number four is made in italy uh this unbearably fucking boring attempted schmaltzy bollocks with liam neeson and his son i can't remember his fucking stupid son's name um but the two of them are english in it i don't know why and it's about them going to this old house that they owned in italy or the dad owns he's like a former artist and he hasn't gone there since the wife died and it's about them revitalizing reworking repairing uh the old house and it's supposed to bring them closer together and there's all these little fucking spats that they have and oh it's just piss poor it was supposed to be a sort of natasha richardson love letter where it's kind of like okay her her husband and son making a movie about their grief and you think that's how they're going to get through it but none of that comes across you had the opportunity to do something really unique there and obviously Liam Neeson when he's doing drama is good he's not good in this but they just took this idea and just turned it into the most generic twee crap and it was just an excuse to show off nice locations around Italy which were terribly shot so it just had nothing going for it it was painful and uh the, the whole romance story in it is just fucking piss poor too. Just flush it down the toilet. Made in shitly is what they should have called it. Um, and number three, uh, which I proclaimed several times throughout the year, well, since I saw it, that it was the second worst mainstream horror of the year, and it remains such. And that is Candyman. Oh my god, how do you fuck this up so badly? So it tries to be part reboot, part sequel, part remake. The usual mixture of shite that they do now. Um, Nia DaCosta directed it. And Jordan Peele produced it. And what it tries to do is... Like if you look at the original Candyman, which gets better every viewing. By the way, it's fucking really good. Um, you have this slasher boogeyman movie. And wrapped around that is the whole idea of gentrification at the time in chicago and you, you get the feel of that but the movie is about this subject whereas this movie co- barely a horror movie constantly just tries to remind you that racism exists and gentrification happened and it does so in such a ham-fisted boring shite way and it just loses itself in its own quote-unquote representation and i'm thinking okay what you, th- what you have here is a black female director a black writer a black producer and an all-black cast and you're trying to make this movie that's just telling you about black politics rather than actually making a good movie you've already proven with this movie that these movies can be made and that 
it's possible for movies like this to be made for that audience but all you're doing is trying to turn it into a lecture you could have made a phenomenal horror film with this but they just squandered that they just squandered what they had uh trying to make something preachy even the horror elements are pathetically badly done it's just it's such a fucking shame i was really excited for it i love the posters for it like when you look at jordan peele's get out he has that political commentary he has all that stuff in it but he also made a crazy body swap fucking horror movie that was unique and interesting see he he looked at the story first he he had the politics there encapsulating it but he looked at the story first the original Candyman was story first with the politics encapsulating it this was just a political movie very very ham-fistedly done with no proper story and just a, a terrible villain the last five minutes in particular was just one of the cringiest things I've seen all year until these next two films uh, because at number two is Red Notice Th- there was, this was almost the worst movie of the year till I really remembered the worst but man this, this is such a nothing film it's high budgeted high glossy high star power shite you have The Rock you have fucking Gal Gadot and you have Ryan Reynolds and the three of them are playing themselves in the most terribly written script with maybe the worst villain performance I've seen all year the guy is one of the worst actors I've ever seen I don't even know his name I'm not even going to say his fucking name you can look him up he is abysmal but this whole movie it just felt like such a waste I was like why am I watching this fucking shite there's nothing fucking good about it at all Um, it's not even like a lot of people go it's very inoffensive kind of fun it's like it's not really a lot of movies will take from other movies and kind of expand on that idea this is literally just a collection of scenes where every time the scene finished I said to myself I have seen this done better in other movies why am I watching them instead I'm basically watching a collection of bad like repeats of fucking normal good movies it's just it's just shocking and that's the, that's the state of the modern Hollywood fucking movie really like this is what they push out it doesn't get good reviews but it makes a fuckload of money because they're going to make a second and third apparently or at least they want to there's just no care for making a good movie though. it's just trash and of course the rock ends up in a fucking jungle in it he just has to have that in his contract somewhere uh pretty much joint worst with this next one but it, it is fucking dire and just exhausting this last film as soon as i watched it i said that is the worst mainstream horror of the year i don't think anyone will beat that for being the worst and i was right because nothing has come close to how bad this is and it's actually going to be hard for me to describe what it's about because it's that fucking forgettable and that is conjuring tree or the conjuring the devil made me do it oh my god i never thought this fucking film would end first of all it felt like about 10 hours long but after about 20 minutes i was just sitting there going what is actually going on in this i don't give a fuck about any of these characters the scares are terrible like when you look at the first two conjurings james wan is a talented fucker so even if what's happening is pretty surface level okay there's going to be a jump now it's very very stylish and effectively well done he's really good at what he does i don't know who directed this not even gonna look it up this is just an embarrassment i was just i was drained by the time it was over and not in a good way not in a martyr's way in a fucking conjuring tree way where i'm just sitting there going why is this happening where are they these characters don't matter this story doesn't matter these effects are terrible 
it's just like, I, like parts of it are coming back to me the more I think of it now and, and I'm just sitting here wincing to myself going oh fuck I'm glad I never have to sit through that again I, all of these movies like I said it's it's hard to jumble these around because they're all fucking really bad movies there's a there's a, a solid 20 or so movies from this year that I thought were really fucking terrible but this is the one that just made me think why do I even watch films anymore <laughs> so that was my my worst ones um but I'll fucking at 48 minutes I'm definitely not gonna spend that long on the fucking the best ones which I probably should it's very easy to like I find it a lot easier to talk about movies I hate than movies I like because movies I like I'll, I I just want people to see them and talk about it with them afterwards uh, and I'll recommend something but like when it's movies I hate I could just sit here all day telling people how shit they are but I'm gonna do a few honourable mentions um, before I get to this very very quick rundown so some honourable mentions will include uh, Come On Come On the one Joaquin Phoenix where uh, he's an uncle having to look after his nephew for a while uh really really enjoyable good dialogue a movie that should be fucking pg but because he says fuck a few times it's 15s bullshit uh it's actually quite a beneficial film for kids as well they'd really enjoy it so i think it's unfair that i got that rating um broadcast signal intrusion that was one of the strongest at the horathon festival for me um if you've ever seen the video online i feel fantastic then it it's like a movie based on someone trying to find out where that video originated only more horrifying and fucked up um the beta test uh so far jim cummings is tree for tree even though i think wolf of snow hollow has its flaws thunder rolls and masterpiece this one was really fucking strong as well it was it was weird to see a, a independent slash mainstream movie uh have such graphic sex in it it felt like something i hadn't seen since the fucking 90s so that was interesting um the suicide squad uh the james gunn version that was a, a breath of fresh air compared to that fucking piss in the eyes that the other one was um no time to die i really enjoyed it i ended up while i was isolating i watched all the fucking daniel craig bond movies uh which i'd wanted to do for a while anyway um because i'd not seen casino royale in fucking i don't know 15 years and at the time i think because i think the last half hour i still do think the last half hour kind of dips uh I just remember not really being too fond of Casino Royale, but watching it again, I was just like, man, this is a masterpiece. This is the best of the new Bonds by a fucking country mile. But I thought, okay, I hadn't seen Quantum of Solace. I hadn't seen Spectre. So I said, I'll fucking get through them. I watched Quantum of Solace. It's not as bad as people say, but it's also not great. There's some really good action sequences. It's stylish looking. Uh, the villain's just crap. It's just a bit all over the shop. Um skyfall which i remember really liking at the time fucking hell i thought it was quite boring this time and i thought it was really stupid it, it didn't really land well for me at all i, mean, I actually in ways prefer quantum Solace, but it's uh it's really really good looking that's the thing i remember roger deacon's cinematography was deadly and there's some really good set pieces but there's other bits where i'm just like this is dumb um and then specter was just fucking stupid and uh long and boring but no time to die was actually fucking really solid i enjoyed it quite a lot um has its issues as well but fucking hell like this it it feels like an old school bomb movie it was really fucking entertaining the action scenes are great uh i just thought it did a good job the intro music was shit though billy Irish's song is shite uh titan is a wild fucking ride 
um, just bending every fucking genre into some insane fucking shit. Uh, the director of Raw, so you know it's gonna be bleak and weird. But this one just it just finds the line and it keeps going past it until it becomes something weirdly sweet but also fucked up and uh it's just it's unlike anything you'll fucking see all year i can guarantee you that much and it's some it, it can go very extreme at times and that's why i enjoy it a lot um what other ones to look out for david was actually quite good it's only an 11 minute short uh with will ferrell and cheaty from fucking the good place i can't remember his actual name but it really well done just 10 minute yoke on youtube really enjoyed the sadness was wild felt like proper old school ebola syndrome level category three ultra gory insane hong kong fucking lunacy and i would recommend that um what else is here the trip was very entertaining um kind of felt like a joe nesbo type job but it's a norwegian very dark comedy that has a lot of gory fucking madness in it um Riders of Justice was good crack as well with Mads Mikkelsen. Uh didn't love it but I quite enjoyed it. It's it's some fucking wild shit in that as well. Uh I will give mention to this purely because I think it's maybe the most overrated thing of this decade so far. Uh something I liked. It's very, very well made. There's some funny moments. And I can see why people liked it, but it was not very effective for me, and that's Bo Burnham's inside. Um the fact he managed to do this entirely on his own in his gaff is extremely impressive and like the production value on it is done extremely well and there's some very witty clever stuff I don't think I ever really laughed at it but there's a lot of songs in it that will, they will stay in your head and they're clever but it's never really very funny but the thing is I don't relate to it at all it, it was to a very specific audience of mostly American people who were very heavily locked down whereas i was never really that locked down because i had to travel in and out of work every day it didn't feel the same for me for the people who were stuck at home without being able to work from home without their jobs without anything to fucking do so for that audience it was really effective and they obviously got a lot from it but i didn't get that at all so that's that's what i mentioned for its creativity and whatever else but it's it's nothing really <laughs> otherwise i'll mention the french dispatch it's the most Wes Anderson film I've seen uh, to a flaw or to a fault because um, it almost like I know his films are always unusual and they as they've gone on they've become a bit more artificial and peculiar but this one is to a point where I was like kind of exhausted by it um, it's just three stories with a wraparound story and I think the middle story is fucking boring the last story actually has some really clever bits and I really like that and the first story has some good bits too there's a lot to like about it very few things to love about it and a good few things to not like about it so it wouldn't be uh it might be his weakest film for me um i'll mention lux eterna because it'll it'll turn you blind it's a gaspar noe short film it's about 50 minutes um and there's two versions of it there's a version that uh has an opening clip that has old footage over it and it's a strobing light before it kicks into the main film which is uh two actresses beatrice dahl and oh what's her name oh that's gonna piss me off charlotte rampling no not charlotte rampling charlotte gainsbourg and the two of them are just talking about movies they've worked on and 
what it was like and it kind of it's making comment on the sort of sleaziness of like producers and stuff like that as well but then it shows them trying to get this movie made and things are getting progressively more intense until there's just a 10 minute barrage of extreme i'm talking really extreme heavy colorful strobe lighting to the point where like people will fucking go blind watching this and i love the atmosphere that there's so much to like about it i just feel it kind of goes nowhere and even with that intensity it didn't really do what i hoped it would do um but it's something interesting to watch anyways (laughs) even the trailer is pretty fucking intense um i'm trying to think is there an else worth pointing out before i fucking go on uh promising a woman was really good a lot of people probably have that up, up near the top but it wouldn't be one of my favorites um but very impressively done i liked how dark it gets and uh what's her face is good now uh one to look out for which is an interesting one well, actually two here boss level very entertaining that's on uh prime now as well it uh has Frank Grillo and Mel Gibson in a sort of uh, Groundhog Day action version <laughs> and it's, it's just very entertaining um, but the one I want to mention here is one called Alien on Stage which is a documentary about this group of people who work in a coach company and they decide they're going to do stage productions of movies and this follows them doing their stage production of Alien and it became an ultra cult sensation and they do annual events of it and people just absolutely love because it's all done with handmade costumes handmade special effects just oozing with fucking charm it's well worth watching um but now we're going to do the top see i will say it's going to be a top 10 i'm going to breeze through the top 20 because i wanted to just give mention to some of these movies um so these movies won't be in a row the last 10 are even not really in a row because like i said there's just so many I liked that I'm not really sure where to go. There's one I want to give a, a, a quick mention to as well. Because I have it in my top 10. But it's kind of hard to consider it a top 10 movie. Because technically it's an old movie. Uh, and that is Rocky Four. So what Sylvester Stallone did during lockdown. Was he got the original film elements for Rocky Four, And decided to create his own director's cut which is more in line with the other rocky movies because if you watch the rocky movies yeah they're, they're, some of them have silly moments but rocky one two and three are played fairly straight until rocky four which is like mtv it's essentially four music videos thrown together really fun really goofy a lot of cheesy stuff one of the biggest crowd pleasers and most entertaining things you can watch in the cinema without question but it's it feels weird when you have it in there and then you have rocky balboa and you have the creed movies and all like it, it it feels like an odd movie in the bunch even though it's great fun so he did rocky four rocky versus drago the ultimate director's cut and it's it's a new fucking movie it's the whole tone of it is different it's a lot more serious the editing changes little story things there's parts where it's just close-ups of certain people while certain bits of dialogue are happening and it tells so much more of the story the fight is different it's longer it's more intense there's so much extra dramatic weight to it, but, it's, it, but it still has all the fucking montages and manages to make them riveting. But instead of a movie that you'd go to and cheer and have a blast watching, you're actually watching it intently to see how it plays out. And it's really unique and absolutely phenomenal. And that's one of my favourites of 
last year but I, I won't include it in my main list so I've talked about it there because it's technically an older film so very 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 quickly breezing through these uh, I want to get mentioned to Last Night in Soho or say number 20 is Last Night in Soho uh, Edgar Wright's latest and it's one that I think is flawed I think he, he story wise it's not his greatest work but in terms of style and atmosphere and capturing 60s London because he, he it's basically his version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood he recreated the whole street of Soho uh, as if it's from the 60s and there's like a big theatre billboard for Thunderball and the cars, the costumes, the people, the music, the atmosphere, all that. Same way Tarantino did when he basically shut down a whole street in LA to make it LA 1969. It has that same sort of vibe to it. And uh, it's also clearly heavily influenced by Italian Jalo movies. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on with it. I think it's, it's flawed in terms of the story, but it's very, very entertaining all the way through. A lot of people hate it. I can kind of like I don't I don't think it would agree that people should hate it but it's more structural issues with it that it feels like not a lot's going on for huge amounts of it uh, but I found it very entertaining anyway it's really stylish and I would watch it again because I just fucking I, I, I champion it go right um, number 19 was Power of the Dog which is a Netflix one from Jane Campion now I haven't seen the piano or any of her, her other films they're allegedly amazing uh, but this one is a really slow burn sort of bordering on romantic drama uh, set in the old west and it's um, Benedict Cumberbatch gives probably his best performance and he's absolutely fucking brilliant um, I suppose I kind of say what they're about well alright briefly going to go back to last night in Zoho essentially <laughs> the plot for this movie is uh, a young it's fashionista the word she wants to be a, a dress designer and uh, she goes to college in Soho. She's from like the Midlands or whatever. And when she gets to Soho, she realises that college life's not really for her. Everyone there is kind of an arsehole. It's loud, brash, annoying. And she just loves the 60s and loves the uh, the magic of the 60s and wishes she could go back then. And she ends up renting an apartment which allows her each night when she goes to sleep to visit the 60s. But she's in the body of this... Uh, wannabe actress and she gets to see the glitz and glamour of the 60s but realises that back then was pretty fucking horrible too uh, especially for a young woman trying to make it in the industry so it's a really interesting idea and outlook and you kind of see how the story goes into a murder mystery thing uh, that's just as much as I'm going to give on that but Power of the Dog is essentially two brothers which is Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons who's also fantastic uh, Jesse Plemons falls in love with this widow who's played by Kirsten Dunst, who's actually his real-life wife. And uh, her son is Cody Smith-McPhee. And uh, there's sort of hints that he might be gay. And as a result of that, Benedict Cumberbatch seems to take the piss out of him all the time and wants to make him feel foolish. But there's also hints that he might be, and there's a sort of romantic tension building between them. But that's... It's sort of underlying the whole thing. is just about sort of respect and power and mind games and all this stuff and it's really fucking well done um the music and the cinematography and everything is phenomenal and just performances all around are amazing um at number 18 is the last duel ridley scott's fucking best movie in years 
uh, that no one saw because it was terribly advertised. He seems to blame the fact that millennials can't stop looking at their phones and that they're annoying cunts. Yeah, he's half right, but that has, that's not why this movie failed. The movie failed because there was no advertising for it. All the advertising went into House of Gucci, which I haven't seen, but apparently is fucking dire. So, if he had just swapped around that advertising campaign, he might have had this movie be a hit because it's a fucking two and a half hour epic with a top class, top class cast. You got Adam Driver, Ben Affleck, or not? Or Ben Affleck isn't it? Yeah, but uh, Matt Damon is in it as well, and it's essentially uh, the story of a rape told from three perspectives. Uh, Adam Driver who is the alleged rapist so it's his point of view of what happened you have Matt Damon's point of view as the husband of the woman who was raped and previously the best friends with Adam Driver and then you have the woman's point of view and it's so fucking interesting how they put it together I'm actually the actress's name has completely left my fucking head so I'll find that out but it's brilliantly put together. A lot of people didn't like that. They were like, oh, it's just repetitive and blah, blah. I thought, no, this is actually an excellent way to fucking tell the story. Um, Jodie Comer. Um, really fucking well done. And, oh shit, I'm out of closing the page now. Oh, I'm going to have to find that again. Um, but yeah, really fucking effectively well done. And... It has the right blend because the drama is excellent in it, but the action scenes and everything are fucking phenomenal too. Like I'd, I'd expect nothing less from Ridley Scott, to be honest, because um, he's usually fucking tremendous. Um, when it comes to those things, often he'll fucking be a bit up his own arse. But one I definitely fucking recommend. Um, next is a film which t- title actually actually accurately represents how I feel right now is that I need some oxygen. I've been talking for so long, and that is a movie called Oxygen. And it's a French... I want to be vague about this because it's really fucking good. Um, and I don't want... I, I don't want any spoilers for it at all. But it's a movie in which a woman wakes up buried. And she's in a... Essentially a life support chamber thing. And she has a very limited supply of oxygen. And she needs to try... Find a way to get out of this thing and alert people and try to get to safety and it is i'll remember her, never remember her name but she's in she's shosanna in fucking uh inglorious bastards what's her actual name uh melanie laurent and the film like uh buried it's pretty much the same plot of buried only a bit more futuristic um she's it's entirely from her point of view in this coffin or life support machine and just the tension in it is so fucking good because you know she has limited oxygen that she can see going down it's not like buried where he's not sure he just assumes he's got limited time this is she can see the oxygen going down and she has to try find ways to get out contact people it's it's just it's so fucking effectively well done and each new turn of the story comes so naturally and you never know what's next and i don't mean that in a spoiler way at all it's just it's really fascinating it's on netflix it's fairly short i think it's i think it's only an hour 40 or an hour 30 and it's really really fucking good highly recommend it netflix though because they're twats might actually start playing it in english be sure to turn it to french because uh if you don't try to read subtitles you're a fucking idiot um 
Next is one of the most enjoyable fucking movies of the year that they don't make many of anymore. And I had a blast with it. And a lot of people didn't like it. And they're just boring. And that movie is Malignant. James Wan's latest effort, which is just... He knew like he knew what he was doing with this. He just thought, look, I'm going to make a movie that no mainstream audience or no mainstream producer would go near. That if it came out by anyone else, it would be dumped onto some fucking streaming service and left to die. But because of his name, because of the cast, he was able to actually make a big mainstream wild fucking horror movie that um it, it it's just <laughs> I'm trying to be vague with it too because again this is another movie I don't want to spoil but essentially um <sighs> how do I describe this film I actually don't know how to describe it without without giving too much away but let's just say that there's a woman who she's taken enough shit in her life and her no I need to actually I'm going to look up how this is written as a review because I don't want to ruin I don't want to ruin this at all. Uh, or how this is written as a description. Uh, I suppose a way of describing it is that it's a woman who's been fucked over a lot in her life and suddenly there's someone going around killing off all the people that have affected her life. And she has extreme visions of these acts taking place that she can't interrupt no matter what she tries and she begins to wonder who might be involved that's about as much as i'll say about it just just watch it i had such a fucking blast with it it's goofy it's really corny it's really violent and it's just so much fucking fun and i just like when you think of horror like particularly in the, in the new screen movie they mentioned this uh, they're taking the piss out of it because people talk about elevated horror whoever came up with that rope yourself immediately it's the most fucking asshole thing I've ever heard pompous hipster pretentious cunt baggery of the highest order these people who because you get all these horror films that are coming out all the A24 produced stuff where it's like the witch or fucking um, what's the fucking name of it uh, the Babadook and things like that. You have these movies that are... They're horror films through and through. Hereditary as well will be up there. Even though I love Hereditary. They're, they're horror movies. Simple as. But they like to attach... Like, oh, this has meaning. This has power because of this. This is an allegory for depression and blah, blah, blah. Get fucked. It's a horror film. This has been happening forever. So they're just trying to... Find a way to like horror without admitting they like horror... Because horror is still a genre that is looked down upon. Because people are fucking stupid. It is the most cinematic genre out there. So suck my fucking fat one. But yeah. In a world where there's nothing but this. Quote unquote bullshit elevated horror. It's nice to see something that just looks at what came out in the 80s. And just goes. That was a wild idea. Let's just fucking do that. And it's just a crazy wild ride. For I think it's an hour 50 or whatever that night. And it's just fun. I just I, I just had such a fucking blast with it. You don't see horror movies like this anymore. Usually when they try be a throwback movie, they're just over the top throwing in synth trying to be 80s. This has some just great fun ideas and it's just, I just think it was a blast. So Malignant should be high up there. Um up next, as I mentioned earlier, this is actually this, this is one of two 
films connected to the worst movies of the year. Uh, but this is Zack Snyder's Justice League. So Justice League obviously was uh, fucked with by both DC and uh, that fucking dirty knacker fucking cunt bag. What's his name? Uh, Joss Whedon. So he uh, decided that he was going to be a pervert. But also he was going to pervert this film and re-edit it, turn it into a comedy movie, change all the fucking colour uh, coordination and turn it into this total dog shit fucking movie a few years ago. Flopped on its arse. Everyone said, here, we want what fucking Zack Snyder was going to make. He obviously had a vision that didn't get to be put out there. Let's have that. So eventually he was given the tools to do that. And they said, yeah, here's Zack Snyder's version. It's fucking four hours long. It's in box format, so it's a taller image. And you see so much more stuff he wanted to do. And it's R-rated, it's grittier, it's slower, it's more indulgent and arty. And I thought it was fucking great. I really enjoyed it. And I wasn't expecting to, because I don't really like Man of Steel. I think it's basically an hour of good stuff and then it's dog shit from then on. So the fact he was able to turn this around and make it into something that I really enjoyed was amazing. And it seems that everyone enjoyed it. All the people who fucking hated Justice League loved this. Some obviously some didn't, but a lot of people fucking loved it. A lot of people who weren't convinced by any DC shit loved it. And Warner Brothers are still going, nah, it's not canon. We're just gonna move on and do other shit. It's like, okay, you're an idiot. You don't know what money is because you're a fucking fool. Uh, but I really enjoyed it and I would highly recommend it. Um Up next is Boiling Point, which is a new one with Stephen Graham and it is a 90 minute single take movie that takes place over a night in a restaurant around Christmas and Stephen Graham is the head chef and it's literally fr- takes place from when he arrives to work and throughout the work night and it is stressful it feels like you're actually working in the place it's so fly on the wall and so natural Stephen Graham is the best actor alive at the moment, I'd say, because there's no actor who can be as convincing as him. Sure, you'll get these really powerful performances and actors doing stuff out of their general wheelhouse, but he can just walk into any role and I just believe 100%, yeah, that's who that character is. He's just incredibly good. Uh, this one is just amazing to watch, though. There's so many characters to juggle. It must have been so difficult to put it together. And it's it's just a phenomenally fucking acted and a brilliantly directed drama. Uh, which I would highly recommend. Um, next is a documentary. Uh, could be the only documentary on the list. I think it is. Uh, called Val. And it's all about Val Kilmer. And his career and his life. That he di- essentially directed himself. He is someone who I never knew this about him. Who is constantly filming. Since he was a fucking kid. He was just always on camera. Always documenting stuff. Always recording stuff. Always keeping an eye on stuff. And as a result of that, he has just decades of footage that he could put together to make this documentary. And it's really, really effectively done. And very sad. And kind of sheds him in a new light. Especially when he became like known to be an asshole in the 90s. He got like a bit of an ego trip. But this, it kind of, it shows it from his perspective and how he ended up like that. And it, it doesn't really shy away from that at the same time. I just thought it was very effectively done. I would very much recommend it. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime, so give it a look. Although it was Prime in America, but you can probably get it here. Um, 
as the same with Boiling Point. Because Boiling Point's only in cinemas here now, but it was on American Prime. So get a VPN, people. It makes life a lot easier. Um, next is oh, what number are you even at? Uh, this would be thirteen. So or is it thirteen? So yeah. So number thirteen is nobody. And actually, it was technically twelve because I already talked about Rocky vs. Drago. So twelve, nobody. Um, Ilya Nushkander, however the fuck you say his name, the guy who made Hardcore Henry uh, and a few mad music videos, he decided to make a film where he said to Bob Odenkirk, "Here, get into some fucking shape and learn how to fight, and we'll make you a fucking action star." And they did, and it worked. It uh, essentially John Wick esque idea, same sort of plot. But Bob Odenkirk, he's just a normal everyday schlub going to work, kind of down on his luck. His wife kind of is embarrassed by him. Um, but his gaff gets broken into and he has an opportunity to take them out, but he decides not to. And his kids are embarrassed by him. They just thought you could have stopped these people and you could have been a hero, blah, blah. But then he decides to take the vengeance into his own hands. And there's some very deep secrets about uh, what he... Um, what he actually is and it's just littered with action and great fight choreography and violence and fun and Christopher what's his name fucking Doc Brown why can't I think of his name my, my memory's absolutely shit I haven't done this in so long that it's hard for me to need a reason to remember names Christopher Lloyd that's his fucking name uh plays as our lad and he has a fucking blast in this movie it is just absolutely fucking great i would uh thoroughly recommend you watch it and i'll hopefully pick up the 4k soon uh number 12 or sorry no number 11 is spider-man no way home i was so surprised at how much i fucking love this because i thought far from home was okay I, I really liked it at the time but the, the more I thought about it after I was kind of like eh, there's a lot of that I didn't really like and it, a lot of it doesn't really work and especially with all the Marvel like, TV shows I'm just I'm burnt out with Marvel shit and plus I thought Shang-Chi was fucking shite uh, that was nearly my fucking worst list actually I don't know why I didn't mention that and uh, Black Widow was fucking terrible uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier had some good bits mostly shit WandaVision started brilliantly and then I thought went to shit I'm just I'm burnt out by all these Even well Loki has some good stuff and it. it has its flaws too but overall I enjoy that but the Marvel stuff in general just has me fucking tired so it's just like eh, I, I'll go to it because I was going to the premiere for free that was my main reason for going but when I watched it I thought this is everything I've wanted from a fucking Spider-Man movie Um, I suppose see I don't really want to get into spoilers even though it's been out a while there's a lot of people know who are still waiting for it to go on to Disney Plus because they weren't able to go to the cinema Although I don't think it's going to go to Disney Plus, but they're waiting for it to come out. But it's uh, it just it just does so much unique shit. I suppose if you've seen the trailer, you know that previous villains from previous Spider-Man films make their way into this one, and how they handle that is just so fucking good. I think the writing is so sharp; it it ticks all the nostalgia boxes without feeling forced. Which is so... Like, how they managed to do that with what they're doing is fascinating to me. Um, and I think it, it it gets to show off the qualities of all the different uh, people who played Spider-Man over the years. Uh, especially when you get to see Tom Holland, that kind of his best at Spider-Man too. It didn't even really feel like the same Marvel franchise. Like, it, it just felt 
very much its own thing and I, I thought I thought it was a the, the perfect way to end that trilogy and I think they're going to start a new trilogy with him which will work um, but I, I just thought they did phenomenal work with this it, it it's the ultimate closure for them really um, but I had a fucking blast with it uh, number 10 is Dune is it number 10 fucking hell I'm about to confuse myself now by talking about fucking Rocky uh, versus Drago but number 10 is Dune um, this is one this actually took a couple of days to sit with me as well uh, I read only half the book well I read it with my ears with the audiobook but uh, I, when I went to the film the, the audiobook actually finishes the exact same time as the film which is where I got this I was like that was the perfect time to finish because now I'm going to listen to part 2 of the audiobook and then see part 2 of the film whenever it gets made um, this is just crazily ambitious because obviously you had the, the documentary they did about a Jodorowsky's idea for what he was going to be his version of Dune then David Lynch sort of did his own take on it which has become its own cult sensation now because as a film it's like entertaining weird shit going on particularly the extended version of it that exists now based with the deleted scenes reinserted um, but it's not a very it's not a good adaptation it's like what people say about The Shining The Shining is a masterpiece of horror but it's not a good adaptation of the book Dune is apparently a masterpiece of cult sci-fi fun but a terrible Dune adaptation so I mean you'll get some aspects of it that'll be the same but it's not what you're expecting if you're a big time Dune fan um, but this one is it's just so ambitious with political intrigue and betrayals and a colossal cast and Denis Villeneuve behind the camera it's a guaranteed bit of quality when his name is attached um, but they just did an amazing job the visuals in it are insane uh, the effects I was actually looking at some behind the scenes stuff and it's all sets like the stuff that you think would be CG walls is like all real like it's just an amazing fucking achievement um, I don't think it's a masterpiece a lot of people are saying it's, it's the best sci-fi film of the last 20 years and all. I disagree with that harshly but I do think it's fucking excellent really really good and I'm looking forward to see what they do next and I'd love to see the two of them back to back so I'm gonna hopefully find a five hour screening of uh, the second film and just do a big ultimate fucking Dune session um, but yeah highly recommend that one as well um, number nine is the Green Knight which is one that as I watched it I was almost stuffing it in at number one um, again I see it's hard for me to look at this fucking uh, top nine or top ten because I, I could interchange all of these like even looking at it now I'd be like I'd probably move that up and I'd move that back and it's just <laughs> it's fucking pedantic shit but either way The Green Knight is a fantasy epic that is of insane slow burn or of an insane slow pace I should say and I fucking loved it a lot of people didn't like it and I kind of see why but for me it just fucking landed perfectly and it's essentially uh, this guy who accepts a challenge from this green knight who shows up every Christmas and he's a big almost wooden man with a giant axe and he basically says have a fight with me uh, or anyone who wants to challenge me have a fight with me and whatever blow you land on me the same will be done upon you in a year's time but you'll have like an amazing year essentially um, 
very hard to actually describe this film because I don't want to wreck it with it as well. But uh, this basically shows Dev Patel's journey for the next year before he has to face the Green Knight again. That's about as much as I'll give it a... But it's an incredible fucking visual thing to watch. Um, Mostly shot in Ireland. I think almost all of it was shot in Ireland. Uh, which should have been evident when Barry Cowan showed up. But the visuals are just incredible. This is David... Shaw, what's his name? Uh, trying to remember his name. David Lowry, who did A Ghost Story, which was one of my favourite films of 2016 or 17, whenever that came out. And then he did The Old Man and the Gun, which also was one of my favourites of that year. I absolutely love that. And I watched his other film, Ain't Them Body Saints, which was okay. Uh, there's some good stuff in it, but it's a bit messy. But the chap just, he does slow burn really good stuff really well. But he's decided to do what is a fantasy epic here. And it's just, I absolutely fucking loved it. It's one I could watch over and over. It looked amazing on the fucking TV as well. Because it went straight to, or it was in cinemas briefly. It was, it was postponed over and over and over again. I really wanted to see it. And then it ended up going on Amazon Prime 4K uh, HDR. So I said, okay, that's how I'm going to watch it. And it looked phenomenal. But it's... Again, a movie is hard to describe. As some of these I don't like describing because I don't want to wreck them. Like there's one coming up in a couple of minutes where I'm like, how the fuck am I going to describe this film? But I will try. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to stop talking about numbers now. I'm just going to just go through them. Uh, so next is The Killing of Two Lovers, uh, which was on my list for a while and I was kind of like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. And then uh, I know Chris Weston fucking praised it. So I said, okay, I'll give it a go. And I watched it and he was right. It was absolutely amazing. It's short. It's a very short fucking film. But it's a... The, the tension that's fucking brimming in it. It just feels like absolute chaos is around the corner at any second. And it's effectively a guy who just wants to reconnect with his wife. Who insists that they should be on a break. And she is starting to see someone else and he just wants to see his kids and it's just the tension building between them and it's so guttural and fucking just depressing but also like very few films that have me shouting at the screen this one had me roaring at the fucking thing um so it's it's definitely an effective one again don't want to say much about it. I don't want to say much about any of these. I'm happy to say plenty about the bad movies because I don't give a fuck about them. But these movies I care about and I want people to see them in the best way possible. Uh, so The Killing of Two Lovers. See it when you get a chance. It is fucking superb. Um, next is one from Leos Carax who, when you see his name attached to anything, expect it to be weird and this is weird. And uh, That is Annette, which is a kind of musical more in the direction of a rock opera than it is a musical uh, with Adam Driver and Marion Cultiard and god how do I even describe this fucking film um, Adam Driver plays a comedian in it anyway he's, got, he's like edgy sort of Bill Hicks almost sort of comedian where he's like saying like these, these truths that people don't want to hear and he's doing it in a crazy edgy way and Marion Cultiard is an opera singer and it's about their love story and how they created this child named Annette but the child is portrayed by a puppet and it is very strange unsettling hilarious intense it just it has everything going for it and even though 
the music and singing it is kind of weird and off like the songs don't feel like musical songs it just feels like they're singing what's happening and it's really really unusual and unique and the visuals are incredible in it uh but it's one that the second it was over i was like that was just really phenomenal it was it was nothing like that uh that i've seen in a long time so annette is definitely one to check out uh the next one is oh fuck i'll go back to the numbers this is number six uh this is technically a TV series. Can I talk about that? Yes, because it's my fucking podcast and I can do whatever I like. Uh, but it's a three-part miniseries, which I just look at as a movie. Plus, it's on Letterboxd, and I'm going to do that where where possible. Um, but it is one another one that had me shouting at the screen, much like Killing of Two Lovers. Uh, and it's a series called Time. Now, there was a documentary out, I think, in 2020 called time as well uh about someone who i think is either wrongfully sent to prison or they've only a certain amount of time left in prison i'm, I'm not sure how it is but it's a documentary this is it's kind of two stories overlapping in a really interesting way so there's one story which is sean bean who he's just a, a an english teacher who happened to be drink driving and accidentally kills someone and is sent to prison for four years and it's about him adapting to that and he's like as timid as can be it's weird seeing sean bean someone who you know would duff any cunt up in any situation sure he got into fucking bar fights and all and won and finished his point like a fucking hero but he's really timid in this and he's it's the best performance i've ever seen out of him he's absolutely amazing in this and it just makes prison seem terrifying like you look at something like starred up and you, you see these other films where it just shows how fucking like prison is no picnic it's not like the fun prison movies. This is a fucking... It's a scary world and no one should ever want to be in it. Um, but that that's his story. But the other story is Stephen Graham. And he is a straight-laced guard. He's very fair. He's very honest. He's really good. Uh, but his son is a bit dishonest. Who is in prison. And essentially people in this prison... Or like scumbag prisoners... Have found out that his son is in prison. And essentially say to him we're gonna fucking butcher your son if you don't sneak in stuff for us so that he's just under his thumb forever and it's him fighting his moral compass to help drug dealers and criminals essentially in order to save his son while sean bean has to adapt to the prison world and it's just incredible how it's done it's only three hours but you'll be riveted watching it. it's so effective and powerful and there's parts in it where the frustration was getting me to a point where I was like, I'm going to end up fucking smashing my TV because of the injustices I'm watching. And it's just, very few fucking things can be that effective. This manages to do it. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, number five is probably, probably the best film of the entire Horathon Festival. Uh, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which is a Japanese time travel comedy sci-fi mystery weird film um so unbelievably charming like if you've seen one cut of the dead which was just one of the most charming exciting and interesting and innovative japanese comedy sci-fi horror movies of the last decade then you'll know exactly what to expect here and the director that actually praised this movie saying this is just phenomenal and the basic premise is uh these people working in a cafe one of them goes onto the computer 
and he sees a webcam of his own room upstairs with himself on it and he essentially informs himself that he is him two minutes in the future and here's what he needs to do and every two minutes he'll they'll be on the next screen seeing their previous self informing them what to do and you just get to see the story unfold from the person's who's learning its point of view as well as the person who has to tell the other person's point of view and it's just it's so fucking brilliantly done and it builds and builds and you really never know where it's going to go it's an absolute blast it was just non-stop laughs and joy at the marathon kind of the opposite of what you expect usually but it was just it's such a fucking pleasure to watch and i cannot wait to get the blu-ray it's a bit pricey at the moment uh it dropped a whopping four cent on the amazon sale recently but i i will get it eventually uh it's such a blast and i would recommend it to everyone you could watch it with kids and all they would fucking love it it's just wacky wild fun um and just the timing of the jokes and all is so good and i think a lot of it if not all of it was shot on an iphone too and it doesn't even look as like it looks really fucking high end so it, it just shows if you've got the fucking talent you can do it right so highly recommend you watch that one uh and number four is one see these four are kind of number one really uh, most of these are number one i could nearly consider them all my favorites um the last two i'm almost thinking of swapping around as i'm talking about it now uh hmm. right these four are just number one that's the way to look at it uh but number four is pig which is a nicholas cage film and this is another one that as I said connects to the worst of the year because he's been in my worst of the year and my best of the year which just goes to show how versatile he is particularly when he's working with the right people but this film is incredible it's a debut for a start um, but Nicolas Cage plays a reclusive uh, former celebrity well I suppose you could say celebrity but popular chef who he lives out in the what was it Portland woods with his truffle pig and he basically uses the pig to hunt for truffles and sells them to restaurants that's how he makes his trade uh, but one night his pig is stolen from him and now he's on a mission to go get his pig does that sound like it's going to be an action-packed taken slash john wickstar movie well it's not at all so get that out of your fucking head because that's how they advertise it and that's a problem because everyone is expecting this fucking intense revenge thriller almost and it's not that at all it's an extremely slow burn somber drama that just gets sadder and sadder but almost more gripping and it's just incredible and like his uh co-star in it is uh not nate fucking what's his face because his brother nate wolf or is that the brother max wolf i think it is no, I had to look up his fucking name. Uh, what's your fucking stupid ass name? Uh, Alex Wolf. That's what it is. Jesus. Um, he's essentially the son of a famous restaurant guy, but he's trying to do his own little restaurant trade, and he's probably the only person who talks to Nicholas Cage throughout the whole movie. So, the two of them go on this adventure to try find the pig, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It's just it's one that I think realistically even though the oscars are worth less than the shit i took earlier today nicholas cage should be up for an oscar in this he's absolutely phenomenal the music is amazing in it just the, the cinematography the whole look of it it's such a somber fucking film but it's brilliant and 
it's further proof further proof that Nicolas Cage is one of the best actors out there and what I love is he's getting a lot of exposure for it too because that uh, that Hollywood roundtable thing they had himself Andrew Garfield uh, Simon Rex Peter Dinklage and what's his name he was in The Harder They Fall John something uh, but him and it was a proper like one of these Hollywood discussion things where they usually have the biggest of the big and the fact he was on there and like he was really interesting on it as well people were actually listening to what he had to say it was just so satisfying to see because he fucking deserves to be there uh, and it's because of this film so definitely definitely see it when you get a chance um, the next one I actually mentioned in the, the latest YouTube video uh, it's a film called Dinner in America and it is just such a blast I've never seen a film in recent years manage to capture such mean spiritedness but also sweetness at the same time it's fucking brilliantly done and you're essentially following this guy who's just a scumbag he just got out of a drug testing thing so he could get some money and immediately within five minutes he's already made a move on this girl's man tried to set the house on fire he's just a little scumbag uh but it follows him on this journey where he's just being as horrible and terrible to people as he can be as he goes around and he meets this timid young lady who fucking is just i don't even know how you describe her she's got a pent-up energy that she just has repressed and uh she's one of the few people that kind of almost accepts him for who he is and it's them going on a, a essentially a road trip and it is just so fucking enjoyable and endearing and the dialogue in it is just so vicious and mean-spirited and that's why i love it there's very few films that will have this kind of dialogue anymore because they're afraid it'll be read wrong by people who hear it and it'll uh, upset them because people are really 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 stupid uh but this is just it's just totally no holds barred totally hilarious so endearing and just i had a, such a fucking blast with it and i had to pick up the arrow blu-ray of it because it's a really nice fucking edition but i also wanted this in my collection um the next two are as i said i kind of swapped them around over and over because i mentioned one of them before i actually praised this at the start of the year um i suppose i'll talk about it now because like i said these are all kind of number one so you can, the, most of these are interchangeable so just watch all of them is what i'm saying that whole top 20 i gave you watch the fucking lot of them um but the next one I'm going to talk about is The Empty Man, which I talked about at the start of the year. I thought it was one of the most ambitious, effective, brilliantly made, really well written, tight, fucking, excellently acted, unnerving and strange horror films to come out. It's two, nearly two and a half hours long and it's just, it, it's nearly every genre. It starts off as almost supernatural slasher, turns into detective movie turns into cult horror turns into psychological horror just everything it managed to take all these boxes manages to put it together a little bit messily but brilliantly and i just thought it was so fucking good and uh you'll hear me praise it in a previous episode if you if you go back through them uh i imagine all is in the last six months now hearing my sweet sweet dulcet tones had to go back and re-listen to all the other podcasts so you should not like the back of your hand now um but yeah that once i watched it i was like that's my favorite year so far and 
it's essentially remained there at the top but like I said these are all interchangeable it's very hard to have a definitive top 10 lately when there's so much good shit uh, but the last one I'm going to mention is one that probably has the most effective moment of the year for me just a, a scene that just made me go holy fuck because it's just it's so well done um, and that is a proper just straight to the point bare bones old school western called Old Henry and I initially thought Tim Blake Nelson directed it he's actually just the titular character and it's essentially just a really basic setup there's no fucking it's not like some commentary on the old westerns or a big character study it's just a straightforward here's the fucking story and it's so fucking brilliantly done and the music in it is incredible that that has stuck with me for a long time particularly at the end the music at the very end is amazing um but the idea is there's this guy named henry and he's just a regular farm worker guy and he lives with his son on this ranch and he just wants a quiet life away from anything he doesn't want to deal with fucking violence or deal with any issues with the police he just wants to relax be his own man out of the fucking out of the eye of anything and out one day he discovers a body on the ground which might still be alive and a big bag of money next to it and he's like oh, fuck he's not sure what to do so he decides to take the body in but then you have the sheriff played by Stephen Dorff by the way the body he finds is Scott Hayes who in Antlers last year he got a look in as a as a lead role and I was really happy to see it because he's really fucking good and he goes a hundred he goes ham in all his fucking films really um, but he doesn't get the attention he deserves so it's good that that's two movies now where he's gotten some significant parts in it uh, but Stephen Dorff is the sheriff who shows up at his house essentially asking has he seen this person and the guy who's in the house claims that he's the sheriff so now you have this whole idea of which one is the sheriff, which one is the criminal and what's going on. And that's as far as I'll go with it. It is just fantastic. It's so satisfying to see a movie not only so well made, but at times so brutal, so fucking excellently acted, so straight to the point and unpredictable as well, which is so fucking satisfying with it. Because like when you look at Westerns, a lot of it's just going to, oh, this will end up in a shootout or blah, blah. This has moments, particularly one scene, towards the end that made me just it was just so fucking brilliantly done um and so satisfying too and again the music really added to the whole thing it's just all around an absolutely phenomenal film and I, the, probably the sleeper hit of the year for me i did not expect to love it as much as i did um i just thought yeah that could be interesting and i threw it on and fuck me it was just absolutely excellent and i can't wait to watch it again as i said that entire top 20 watch all of them i recommend them almost as one because it was just fuck doing this whole uh what's it called uh why can't i think of the word um number shite because realistically i'm like i'm looking at malignant and i'm thinking like okay i i loved malignant uh but i also love no way home and if i had to right now i'd probably try malignant on first but even though i have no way home ahead of it and so on it's all a big mess but that's my top 20 so i'll actually I'll, I'll run through them again i usually do this just to make things a bit easier so the ones i've picked well it's 21 really because i included rocky versus drago so i'll say rocky versus drago last night in soho power of the dog the last duel oxygen malignant Zack snyder's justice league boiling point val nobody spider-man no way home dune the green knight the killing of two lovers annette time beyond the infinite two minutes pig Dinner in America, The Empty Man, 
and old Henry go watch all of them movies they're all fucking excellent and like I said there's plenty of other ones there like Titan and Boss Level The Sadness and so on that are all fucking well worth watching as well Um, but they're the ones that I recommend most and of course the ones to avoid uh, at the very end actually Demonic's another one I forgot that was dog shit but the, the 10 that I recommend avoiding the most would be Army of the Dead Willy's Wonderland The Many Saints of Newark Kate Woodstock 99 uh, Dom Breaks Behind the Eyes Made in Italy Candyman Red Notice and Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It don't watch any of that shit spend all the time you would have wasted on those watching the previous as I just gave there uh, I will hopefully have an episode next week or maybe the week after where I'll talk about a bunch of the new releases and new shit that's happening and whatever else because I mean I've missed six months worth of shit which I'm not going to recap I might recap a tiny bit but I'm not going to fucking just research all this I can't, I can't be fucked doing it um, what I will say is though there is a chicken run sequel coming out apparently and Mel Gibson's not in it which is disappointing but I can't remember how the first one ended I know it's kind of just The Great Escape with Chickens but I uh, it's one I'd like to revisit but I hope it's different characters at least and they don't tarnish the, that chickeny name but yeah this was very tiring on my throat I haven't done this in a long time so I'm fucked uh, but I hope you enjoyed it it's a long one I usually don't do them this long anymore but given the fucking time it's the first one back enjoy the fucking time but also the youtube videos they'll be going up today as well so by the time you listen to it oh i don't know you'll be sick of me <laughs> but if you got this far thanks for listening watch all those fucking films well not all of them watch 20 of them don't watch lots of the other ones and uh yeah expect many more of these with more people so i can save my throat from fucking dying talking uh you're all absolute cunts goodbye